Let me uh, introduce just a little bit, though. We began last week looking at the future of Cornerstone. And we're taking four weeks to really walk you through the vision and the mission of this church so that you know what you're getting into. If you're visiting our church, here's a good snapshot of where we're heading. And if you've been part of Cornerstone for a long time, uh, this is a good understanding of some slight changes that down the road 10 years are going to have massive repercussions. So I want to remind you of what we talked about last week. If you did not get a chance to listen to that message, I'm going to ask you to do that. I had somebody this morning come up and tell me that they prayed every day this week the prayer that I asked them to pray. They just missed one day. I am so thankful for that. Please be praying what we asked you to pray about last week. If you listen to that sermon, you'll remember it or you'll know it. But here's how we're defining vision and mission. And a lot of people have different definitions of that. Here's vision. Vision is the destination. Mission is the journey. Vision is the noun. Mission is the verb. Mission, or vision rather, is what God is calling us to be. Mission is what God is telling us to do. So why do we exist as a church? Where are we heading? What is this journey taking us toward? Well, here's how we sum it up. We want to be a family of multi-planting churches that make disciples of Jesus who will live on mission for the glory of God. Now, it's easy to say that. How is that actually going to look? And that's what this series is all about, really unpacking it. And I could give you the overall journey plan, okay? It's three words, multiply cubed, actually. M cubed is the logo. But the three ways of understanding it are here. Multiply worshipers last week. Ezekiel 36, 37. Multiply disciples today, that's what we're looking at. And then next week, I'm going to show you multiply churches. This is how we're going to do it. Here's the action plan. Here's the strategy. How are we going to make the vision a reality in God's power and by God's grace? It's by multiplying worshipers, disciples, and churches. Last week, I told you that in Genesis chapter 1, Adam and Eve received a mandate from God, a mission from God. And that mission, that mandate, that command was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God wants reproduction. His favorite math seems to be multiplication, not addition. You're going to see that by the end of this message. But it's the same mandate that he's given to the church. So what he gave to Adam and Eve, multiply people, reproduce, fill the earth with people. Now he's giving the same mandate. Now he's saying, go out and be witnesses of me all the way to the end of the earth. Multiply believers. Multiply disciples. Make them. Make disciples who know how to make disciples. Well, here we go. Can you stand with me? We're going to read the Word of God together. Matthew chapter 28. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. It'll be up on the screen behind me. I'll read if you just want to watch and follow along. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Here's the command to the church to multiply, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may be seated. We stand because we recognize and affirm that God's word is an authority over us. We honor it by standing. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction, and then we're going to get really rolling, and we're going to get more and more audience participation as we go. So here we go. You might have said to some, in fact, here's audience participation number one. And if you're online uh, watching this, you can participate as well. How many of you here or online have ever heard somebody say to you, who died and made you boss? Who's heard it said of you? All right. Now somebody I saw, I think, just elbowed the other person when they said that, right? All right, so here's a different one. Raise your hand. How many of you have actually said that about somebody else? Who died and made you boss? Raise your hand. Okay, maybe a little less or you're just more cautious because you know I'm watching. Now I want you to hear this for a second. Think about this. Let's get our thinkers going. Who died and made you boss? Do you realize that's exactly what Jesus did? Do you know you could say that about Jesus, but not in a sarcastic way, but in an affirming way, in a worshiping way? He did die, and his father gave him all authority. He is the boss. He's the only one truly, without sarcasm, that is true of. He did die, and he has all authority. All the authority in the universe and in heaven has been given to Jesus. Now, this is what one of my professors would drum into our minds. All means all, and that's all that all means. Let's say it together. All means all, and that's all that all means. So all authority has been given to me means there's not a scrap of true authority that does not belong to Jesus Christ. He has it all. And with all of that authority, he gives Christian you a command, and he gives me a command. So here's his command And he has all the authority because he died and he was made boss. He has all the authority to give you this command. And as you will see in a moment, his assumption, his expectation is you will obey it. Here's his command. Go therefore and what? Make disciples. That's the only command in this passage, by the way. Make disciples. Not only does he have all of the authority behind this command and the assumption that you're going to obey it, he has the power to make it happen. A sinner can become a disciple because Jesus has fully accomplished their salvation, rescuing that person from death, giving that person life, and inviting that person into his work of restoring creation. Now, I want you to hear something, and this is a bit of a corrective, and I'm going to give you a few correctives in this passage, okay? So I want you to hear it with ears that are wide open. Do you know that Jesus never says, go and make converts? Nowhere. He never says, go and make Christians. In fact, the word Christians only found the Bible three times. 
The word is go and make disciples. That's everywhere in the New Testament. You see it constantly from the lips of Jesus. He has a job. He has a command. And he says, go, therefore, and make disciples. And the job that he gives us is as big as the world. He says, go into all the nations. He says, go make disciples of all nations. Now, let me tell you to do something, if I can, and let's encourage you to do this. When you hear the nations, don't think the different countries of the earth, because that's not what that word means. It means people groups. And out of over 13, oh, this is amazing. Out of over 13,000 people groups on this planet, only about 6,000 of them have ever heard the name of Jesus. That's got to blow your mind. In this day of universal communication, where we have the internet, everything is so globalized, there are still 7,000 people groups that have not heard the gospel. They've not had anybody teach them the gospel. Now I'm going to blow your mind a little bit more. You know, we're involved in Cheston Elementary School. We have been for years doing after-school Bible studies over there. You know what we discovered? It absolutely shocked me. Do you know how many children we are discovering in East... In Cheston Elementary School who have never, ever heard about Jesus. You don't need to go to some Amazonian jungle in an aboriginal tribe to find people that have not heard about Jesus. It's two miles away. People all around us have never heard about Jesus. So here's all the authority in creation and in heaven. And, he, and, and God says, Jesus says, go and make disciples. All the authority is in me. I'm giving you this command. Go make disciples of all nations. Now that's the job. That's the command. But he gives us a job description. You probably have one at work. If you go onto our staff page on our website, you click on any of the pictures of the staff, it'll come up with their job description. What is it that we actually do? On mine, you're going to find he works one day a week. No, I'm just kidding. I thought I'd say it before you did. But you see all of our job descriptions, okay? Well, a job description tells you how you do what you've been hired to do. Well, Jesus gives us command to make disciples, and then he gives us our job description, and there's three parts to it. They're called participles. Here they are. We are to go, we are baptizing, and we're teaching. That's how you make disciples of all nations. All right, now I told you earlier that there, there's nowhere in the Bible where Jesus says to make converts or make Christians. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get your mind open a little bit more. Did you know that there's nowhere in the Bible that you will find the word missionary or missionaries or mission? That's a thoroughly modern word. It literally means in the Latin to be sent ones. It means that we're sent. Now, that's really important because while that's not in the Bible, it doesn't mean the, the term is bad. We have missionaries that we support, and they are amazing people, and we should support them even more. We want more people rising up out of this church that God is sending all over to do the work of ministry. Do you know why we're not right now sitting in Lower Nazareth at Gradwell Switch property that we bought years ago, 2003? Do you know why we're not there? 
It's because we realize that Jesus meant it when he said, I am sending you into the world. You see, we were building that with the hopes that people would come to us. We were building ball fields. We were building walking paths, an amphitheater, and a church with, gasp, a parking lot. It was going to be glorious. Then all of a sudden we realize, wait a minute, we're to be the sent ones. We are to go into the world. And we began to look at where God might be sending us. And you'll hear more about that story in a little bit. We ended up here and on Mark Street where we already were. We're the sent ones. That's what missionary means. But while it's not found in the Bible, you know what the favorite word is? Disciple. Go and make disciples. That's the word that is propelling us into the mission Jesus gave to us. All right, now I told you there's one command, make disciples. The job description gives us three participles. Go, baptizing, teaching. Now we're going to pick up some steam, all right? Now we're going to get into an outline form. We're going to look at those participles. Here's what you got to do if you're going to make disciples the way Jesus said. Look at the first one. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, everybody look at your Bibles because I'm going to correct this. I know that's audacious to say that. It's just not written in the English right. It doesn't mean go as if you've not been and you get going. No, the, literally the tense means, therefore, having already gone. Therefore, having gone, Jesus says, do you not know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, it's absolutely an aberration for any of the disciples of Jesus not to be going. They're already moving. It's because they're disciples. Why would they not be? There's the assumption that Jesus has. If you're my disciple and you're a sent one, then you're already moving. I'm going to show you, Jesus says, how to move, where to go, what to do. But the assumption is you're already moving. All right, well, I began to tell you this. So let me finish the story. So 2009 and into 2010, we began to look at what God was sending us to. And what we realized when we did the work and the studying was that 12 churches in downtown Easton were leaving the city. 12. They were closing their doors or merging and or merging with suburban sister denomination churches. They were leaving Easton, including the church that was here before us. And we began to see we have a responsibility to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into the densest demographic in the east end of the Lehigh Valley, Easton. We can't leave and abandon Easton. We need to bring Jesus down into Easton. So we began to multi-site. We put a church down here. That's why you're here even in this moment because in 2010, we bought this church. And in 2011, we rehabbed it. And in 2012, we hired in order to start a campus here. But now we've got an exciting problem. See, the exciting problem is this. If you come across a free bridge, 
into Easton, you see that building that they're putting up? That's one of several. There are 600 residences that are being built in downtown Easton, anticipating 1,000 new people coming into Easton that have never lived here before which is going to put a pressure on our already difficult parking situation, which means that you're going to need to be walking a couple blocks or finding free parking on Sunday mornings or paying to park so that you don't get towed, okay? It's going to be a little bit different because all those residences are going to gobble up already sparse parking resources. And so we had a lot of pressure among some people to say, well, let's sell the building. We need to get out of downtown East and find another building somewhere else. But we moved down here with the responsibility to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to this city. If we leave because parking's going to be difficult, what's that say about the problem of modern Christianity? Won't you walk a couple blocks if you need to? You've got glorious parking garages. You've got a riverfront row of parking spots. I think we will. I think people will walk. People will pay a few dollars for parking if they could be on mission down here bringing the gospel to a thousand new people coming in that most of probably which need to know about Jesus Christ. See, our vision is establishing churches who make disciples and living on mission for the glory of God. With all of these people coming into the city, why would we not want to be right in their midst? You see, here's what was a catalyst for us. This was the catalyst for us in 2010 to come down here. Listen, in 2010, Easton was not the Easton of today. Now there's all kinds of restaurants. Now there's all kinds of activities. It wasn't like that in 2010. The crime rate was, cra it was crazy. We had people that wouldn't even come here out of fear, downtown Easton. That's the way Easton was then. But while that veneer... You know, the appearance of Easton has changed. Let me tell you, the needs of the gospel are even more today than they were then. Here's what catalyzes to come down here. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Do you not know, church? You impact the city. You bring blessing to a city. When the church is alive and making disciples, the city rejoices and the city is exalted so therefore having already gone now let me ask you a question and i want you to not answer this uh, physically or demonstrably just answer it in your heart when's the last time that you intentionally made a disciple of jesus christ have you ever you know what we're finding is less than five percent of our church has ever made a disciple of Jesus Christ because less than 5% of our church has ever been made a disciple of Jesus. I would ask you that. Has anybody ever come alongside your life and intentionally, intentionally helped you walk and transform into spiritual maturity? Has anybody done that for you? And less than 5% of our people say yes. 
So we're asking you, Jesus is commanding you to make disciples, and quite honestly, a lot of us are saying, I know I'm supposed to do that, but I don't know how to do that. And the church has really, as you'll see at the end, fallen down on the job. We've got to correct that. That's where we're going. Look at number two, participle, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One uh, Pastor John MacArthur said this, in the, great, in the context of the Great Commission, baptism is synonymous with salvation. But I'm going to tell you again, there's a word in here that's not translated well. It's a little tiny preposition. Look what it says again, and I'll correct it for you. Baptizing them in. That's not really the word in the Greek. The word is A-I-S in the Greek. Everybody say ace. You just spoke Greek. It's the word into. And there's a big difference between in and into. Now, some of you are like, oh, my goodness, this is English class. I am so going to go take a nap. All right, wake up, all right? Listen to this because I'm going to describe to you the difference between in and into, and I'll do it through my wife. When I married Denise, she came into the Ackley name, into meaning the Ackley family, the history of the Ackley family, the present tense of the Ackley family, and the future tense, the whole sphere of what it means to be an Ackley. She's got access now to what makes the Ackleys a family, all the good stuff and all the bad stuff. She's into it. She's not, it's not any longer the Ackley family. And then Denise is out here on the periphery. No, she's in the warp and woof of the Ackley family. Why? Because through covenantal marriage, she has been brought into it. Now listen, this is the same exact thing that happens when you get saved. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, by faith you are united to Christ. You, become, you come into the family of God. There are only two types of people on the planet. You are either children of the Heavenly Father or, some of you are not going to like this, children of the devil. The Bible gives you no third option. You come out of the domain of darkness, Colossians 1, transferred into into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is what happens the moment you believe. You are brought into the promises of the Father. You are brought into the person of Jesus Christ. You are brought into the power of the Holy Spirit. All of the purposes, all of the plan, all of the love and the blessings and the, and the, and the power of God, the triune Father and Son and Holy Spirit, you are brought into that. That's what that word means. But what on earth does it mean brought into the name? We don't talk like this. Think of your desktop and your computer, and you've got an icon, okay? Let's say you're using PowerPoint, and the icon for PowerPoint is on your desktop. It's fairly inert. There's not really anything substantive yet about the icon until you click onto it. That's your faith. And when you click onto the icon of Jesus, you trust in him, all of a sudden a whole world of a powerful program, the whole world of the power of God opens up and you are into the program, you are into Christ. That's what it means to come into, baptizing into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It means that all the power of God, all that his names represent, all of his attributes, all of his characteristics, you are brought into that. So if 
if God is a God of mercy, guess what? You are brought into his mercy. And if God is a God of love, which he is, you are brought into his love. See, there's a world of difference between baptizing in the name and into the name. You are winning people into the gospel. You are winning people into salvation, into the relationship of the triune God. You see, we are making disciples who are brought into the life, power, and plan of God. And what God is doing is redeeming. Do you know this? He is redeeming his creation through the work of Jesus, one disciple at a time. And it leads us to the third participle, okay? Having already gone, baptizing, winning them to the Lord. Third, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. This word does not mean giving out information like sometimes teachers do. No. This word is walking somebody into transformation. This is about I won't give up on you until your life changes. You see, when a Jew would become a disciple, he would often live with the rabbi. Did you know that? That's how it worked in first century rabbinical Judaism. You would often live with your rabbi, and you would learn to become just like your rabbi. I've got one story from a Jewish historian in the first century that said he saw a rabbi walking on a dusty road, and behind him, like a, like a trail of ants, were his Talmudi. Talmudi is plural for disciples. And that rabbi had injured his leg in the past, and so he had a very pronounced limp when he walked. And every one of his disciples had the exact same limp. That was the goal of rabbinical Judaism. You become like your rabbi in every single way. That was the power of it. It was the power of multiplication. And that's what Jesus says. My goal, make disciples of me. Who become like me. How do we do it? Look what it says. To observe. Teaching them to observe. You know what that word means? It means to watch and guard a prisoner like you're a prison warden. You know what would happen to a Roman soldier if their prisoner escaped? They would be put to death. It is watching over the one that you are discipling so closely that you will not abandon them. You will stay with them. You will endure with them as they come into spiritual maturity. This is the way Jesus says you make a disciple. Having therefore gone, win them to the Lord, and then teach them, walk them, guard them into maturity. But we've got a massive problem in the modern church, and I've already inferred it. Most of us don't know how to do this. Nobody's ever done this for us. So we're going to do it. We're going to teach you how to do it. We're going to be a church that this is all of what we do because we're going to lean on two things that I'm about to tell you. Number one, God promises to give us everything we need to do all that he commands. Here's what he promises, verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm not going to tell you to do something and then walk away and leave you to do it on your own and figure it out. I'm going to be with you. I will help you make disciples. But have you gone? And are you witnessing? And are you teaching for transformation? But there's a second thing. The entire focus of our church is changing. 
Disciple making will be the singular focus of everything at Cornerstone. If something that we're doing now is not going to make disciples, we're going to stop doing it. It's not worth doing it. We've only been given one mission. There's not plan B. If you don't like making disciples, well, then do this. No, there is no this. There is one mandate, one mission that the church has, make disciples. So we're going to make the culture of Cornerstone disciple-making. What's that mean, the culture? Well, if somebody asks you, hey, you know, I heard you go to Cornerstone Church. What's the culture of that church? You know, that's a fancy word now. Well, here's what it means. It means the way you do things around here. That's all that culture means the way you do things around here. You're going to be able to answer them if they ask you, what's the culture of that church? You're going to say, you know what the culture of that church is? All they would want to do is learn how to make disciples who know how to make disciples. That's it. They want to get on mission. And I want to be part of it. How are we going to do that? Well, let me teach you through an hourglass picture how we're going to do that. And I want you to look at the top part of that hourglass. And the top part of that hourglass is the weekend worship service. That's our widest net. That's where we get the most people. We've got about 450 to 500 people. We meet in five different services from March Street to here in our Spanish congregation. Here's where we get the most people. And what we're anticipating, you heard it last week, is that God is going to multiply his worshipers. Around the Lehigh Valley, not just at Cornerstone, but at the Alliance Church in Peaburg, at First Baptist Church in Peaburg, and Calvary, and Ebenezer, and the bridge up in uh, Alpha Northampton. All of these churches were praying, God, increase your people at these churches. And how is he going to do that? Well, we're going to pray. That's what Ezekiel 36 says to do. Pray and ask him to do it. Friends, listen, if you're not yet praying, pray. Put it in your phone. Put a reminder in there. Ask God to increase his people like a flock destined for sacrifices. We pray, we declare the gospel wherever we go, and we serve, meaning worship our God. That's what's happening in the weekend worship service. But here's what we're doing. We want gravity to pull the sand down. We want a vacuum pressure to take people that are here, all of you that are here now, and bring you into a community group. In about a year and a year and a half, if you're not in a community group, we want you to feel that you're missing out on something important. Why? Because community groups are where you live out the over 59 one another's of the New Testament. Pray for one another, confess your sins to one another, encourage one another, carry one another's burdens. All of these are lived out best in a community group. Now let me put some urgency to it. If you read your Bible, I don't think you can come away from that without the inescapable reality That there is a time coming, and I'm convinced it's coming sooner than we know, where it will be illegal to come to church in this country. There's going to be a time, friends, where we won't be able to legally gather in a public building like this. And we are future-proofing our church, meaning when we're no longer able to legally gather, where are we going to come together? They're going to be in community groups, just like China's experiencing them now. That's coming. Let me give you a preview. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says in chapter 2 that the man of lawlessness will come and lawlessness will increase over the earth. 
And the one who now restrains it will be taken out of the way. That's the spirit of God. Do you not see lawlessness increasing? There's not one sector of our society where there is not division and lawlessness. Friends, it's happening. We have urgently got to future-proof the church. There will be a day where you cannot gather on a weekend worship service. And when they are taken away from us, what will we do? We will gather in community groups. We will always be able to get a sermon to you. Because here's what community groups do, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're just going to bring the word of God to the community groups. And we're going to be sermon-based increasingly. And the fellowship, the one another's of the New Testament, and to the breaking of bread, that's the Lord's teaching table and that's a meal and to the prayers that's where we pray for one another we don't want you just coming to a weekend worship service if we're going to be the church that the that the lord has us to be in the future we need to bring you down into community groups do you want to lead one of those groups go to our website sign up you do need to be an, a member we have member classes coming up April 2nd, April 9th, so that we can make sure of your salvation. We will train you how to lead a group. We need more groups starting. We need you to get into groups. Over the next year and a half, community groups will be the backbone of Cornerstone. But not only does this, we, do we want people in community groups, listen, the sand keeps falling. We want them into what we call discipleship groups. Discipleship groups, if you go to a million churches in this earth, on this earth, you will not find another church doing this. This is unique to Cornerstone. Lots of churches are making disciples. Lots of churches have their strategies. No church is doing it like we are. That doesn't mean we're doing it better. It just means we're doing it uniquely. We took my 32-week series in the Sermon on the Mount, and we have developed a discipleship strategy of intensive disciple-making so that we can make you into a disciple who knows how to make disciples. It is intense. We've got three groups operating right now, and we're beginning to multiply those groups. We're going to want you in one of these groups because we want you making disciples who know how to make disciples. That's the future of this church, and you're going to hear a whole lot more about it. Well, what's the outcome of this? If we do these weekend worship services and we're praying for God to increase our people and we are praying and we're declaring and we're worshiping and we're getting into community groups and we're becoming disciples who know how to make disciples, listen, that means we're going to be witnessing. So let me ask you your last question. Don't answer this, just in your own mind. When's the last, who is the last person that you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ to? The whole gospel. Do you know that we have people that leave these worship services and go straight to their unsaved friends and family members and say, you need to hear something. And I was encouraged today to tell you. That happened last Sunday. I got a big email. Wait till Easter morning. You're going to see a whole video testimony on this. Somebody that left the worship service being emboldened by God during the sermon and going out and leading somebody to the Lord. That's what it means to be a witness of Jesus. You go to the people that need the gospel and you make disciples who know how to make disciples. That's going to bring more people into the weekend worship service, coming into community groups, being discipled. They go out and witness, bring more people in. It's the way that we 
are to multiply. And I'm going to prove it to you with an audience participation. All right, here we go. I'm going to need some people. Bring that camera all the way out. All right, I'm going to get two people um, to be, uh, Russ, come on up if you would. I know you're shocked, right? This guy's awesome. You got to get to know him. Larry, you come on up too. All right, so Russ is going to be the way the church has done it for thousands of years, 2,000 years, okay? It's the old way. It's the pastor witnesses and the elders witness, and it's why we haven't gotten the gospel around the globe of the earth, okay? So Russ is the enemy. All right, sorry. We love you, though. Larry's the biblical way. This is where we're going. Listen, we're leaving this way. We're heading that way. We want you to come with us. Here we go. Quickly, you two go grab one person. Bring them up with you. All right, looks pretty good, right? Both old way, biblical way, pretty much same fruit, okay? Now let's do something else. Russ, go get one more person. You stay here. Both of you go get somebody, okay? Each of you go get a person, each of you. Go ahead, yep. You go get one person, each of you. All right. All right, we're seeing a little bit of a difference. How do you three feel being the old way, the way that doesn't work, right? The way that nobody wants to be anymore, okay? We love you, though. All right, now here we go. Russ, go get one more person, and each, each of you, all four of you, each go get one person, each of you get one person. And let's be really quick on this. If you get a nod to you, just get on up and come on down. This is kind of fun having Russ do this because, Russ, how many people do you know here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he's getting to know people all the time. Hi, Robin. Hello. All right, so now we're starting to see this is where we're going as a church. This is the command of Jesus. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Each Christian makes disciples who know how to make disciples. This is the way the church has done it for 2,000 years. This is why the gospel is not to the uttermost parts of the earth. Russ, go get one more person. Each one of you, go get one person. Bring them on up here. Let's go real quick. Robin, you can stay here. Come on up here. I'm going to keep you with me. Just Good. You got Jeff? Remember over here, the pastor and the elders do the witnessing and making disciples, right? Doesn't work. It never has worked. It's not what Jesus said, but it's the way the church has done it for 2,000 years. This is where we're going, Cornerstone. If you're part of this church, this is where you're heading. All of us making disciples, each one of us. Russ, go get one more. Every one of you, very quickly, go grab somebody and bring them up here. I'm waiting for somebody to run up to that balcony and get some of those people out of those seats. Let's put it this way. The people in the balcony, they're in the outer darkness of Revelation 22, okay? We need to go get them. <laughs> All right, now we're starting to see where we're going. This is exciting. This is what Cornerstone's going to look like in a few years as we all get obedient Lo, I am with you always, Jesus said. He's helping us do this. He's not going to help us do that. This is a powerless church, a, lack, a church that lacks fruit. This is a church where God has said, I can do something with this church. Russ, go on. Get one more person. Everybody go. Let's go. Get one more person. And this is the last one we're going to do. 
I know. Okay, everybody on this side, slide over. You don't want anything to do with them. Okay, we want complete separation. But we do love all of you, okay? We just want to tell you that. All right, come on. Now, where's Pastor Kyle? I want him to come on down because he's going to close us in prayer in just a moment. Let me give you some more remarks. Everybody look at this. Everybody look at this. Listen, this is exactly Matthew 28. This is literally what it can look like if we get obedient. And we're going to teach you, and this is the church that you're going to be part of if you're part of Cornerstone. This is not what we're going to do anymore. And a lot of it is because we have not done our job as leaders and you've not done your job as worshipers. And we need to move over here. Amen? Amen. Pastor Kyle, pray for God's blessings if you would. Father, I just pray, Lord, that in this moment, God, we would be impacted by your word. And Lord, even that this visual would just be impressed upon our hearts, Father. Lord, that even now you'd begin to stir in us, Lord, us to action, to obedience. Lord, that we would recognize, Father, that it's not just the leaders of the church who are called to witness and make disciples, but we are all called. Lord, your word teaches us time and time again, Lord, that we are a priesthood of all believers. So God, I pray that you would help us to take it seriously. Lord, we've grown comfortable doing church the way that we've been doing it for so long. And God, if we wanna hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Lord, we wanna be obedient to your word, to the call that you've placed on our lives to make disciples. So Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, help us to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ who makes disciples. Lord, that we would be a church who multiplies worshipers, who multiplies disciples, Lord, and who multiplies churches. God, I ask your blessing upon Cornerstone and each person here, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.